Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the prospect of a coalition government gets raised on the campaign trail. In any scenario that happens, whatever Canadians choose, I'm going to make sure Canadians get the best deal. I'm going to make sure we fight hard for the things that are our priorities. I'm going to make sure we deliver those things. And I've made it really clear I'm going to fight Conservatives because they cut and make services worse for people. And with more new Democrats, you're going to be assured that we change things. How will the security threat against Justin Trudeau affect the rest of the campaign? My uh, first concern was for the safety of my family and for uh, all the Canadians in the room. Uh, this will not change uh, at all how I campaign. And voting at the advance polls is up significantly over 2015. I don't think we can predict whether this is going to be a high or low turnout election. I think the interest in advance polls hasn't always predicted turnout. But I think we're underestimating how much people are interested in this campaign. And we're underestimating how much they believe they can have a say. Because almost all Canadians we ask believe this is a close election. It's Tuesday, October 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. With six days to go until Election Day, we are hearing the word coalition a lot. Uh, There's a lot of talk on the campaign trail about what will happen after Monday if nobody wins a majority. And I think it is interesting to talk about that now, but I think it's also worth pointing out that when party leaders and other partisans talk about it at this stage, it's less about what happens next week than what happens on Election Day, right? They're all posturing for their position in the eyes of voters and making sure that they don't lose voters because people are reacting to the current party standings and changing the way they're going to vote because of strategy. That's right. And it's unclear how many Canadians actually do strategically vote. You know, um, those of us who talk about politics or those of us who are listening to this podcast probably think a lot about, you know, sort of the mathematics and and geometry of what happens after Election Day. But a lot of people want to walk into a ballot box and and vote with their their heart um, or vote for, you know, who they're, they're hoping to win. So... Um, I, I think this is a conversation that's happening, as you kind of point out there, on two levels. I think there's the political junkies are doing mathematical calculations on how many seats are going to be in the House and who will work with whom. But I, I, I still think that for Canadians out there, it's been a very unclear election. It's been, um, it's nobody's kind of certain who's in the lead. It's been such a tight race that um, I think we're going to see all kinds of talk about this, I think, up until Election Day. It's interesting, though. We're seeing different messages out there. There's one message, uh, obviously, from the Liberals saying if you vote for the NDP or the Green Party, you're basically going to help Andrew Scheer become Prime Minister, and here are all the consequences of that for the environment and uh, for... Uh, and and cuts and all of that sort of thing. And then you're hearing messages from the NDP and the Green Party saying effectively, uh, look, there probably won't be a majority government, so give us a strong voice and here's what we stand for, here's what we'll be fighting for in any type of minority parliament, whether it's a coalition or just a, a government that is supported by some of the smaller parties. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, the way that um, that Canada has despaired that we don't want to go down the road of polarization like we're seeing in the United States. But so many of the parties are trying to frame this as a polarized either-or choice, right. or at least the conservatives and liberals are. You know, it's either all good or all bad. I think um, what the smaller parties are saying, and I think, you know, somewhat to their uh, credit it is Canada don't uh, destroy your choice and and don't destroy that sort of diversity of voices in Parliament it's I, I wrote about this last week it's too bad that competitions don't test people for their their skills at, at cooperation they test them for competition but um, in my dream world I would love to see the last week of the election be a conversation focused on who can work with whom, what's bottom line, um, where are the areas of, of agreement between the parties. But all we're going to hear for the next six days is, is disagreement. Right. Uh, now, it's worth noting that if there's one story of this campaign so far, uh, it, I suppose you could say there's a, another story in the Bloc Québécois rise, but Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, uh, I'm not sure a lot of people were forecasting before the election that they would become such a factor and that we've, we would see them uh, in the range of 20% in voter support uh, in the final week of the campaign. Yeah, I think everybody likes Jagmeet Singh's story. I think the um, Canadians like to come from behind story in 2015 when Trudeau went from third to first place. And I think this is sort of uh, the same in the same vein. I think that Jagmeet Singh has, has run a good campaign. He looks like he's being straight with people. He's talking from the heart, uh, like he's got nothing to lose. Um, and some of the issues that have been in this campaign bubbling below the surface, uh, questions of values, racism, tolerance, um, are ones on which he can speak quite eloquently and personally. So I think that's um, that's been good for him. Uh, whether that translates into votes, we're going to have to wait and see, as they say in uh, political punditry, but uh, certainly he's had a good campaign, and I think, you know, you saw the NDP after the last election chuck Mulcair out the window because he didn't win for them. I don't think, no matter what happens in, in this election, I think Jagmeet Singh has earned some time at the NDP, and um, I think that the, the party's feeling quite good about it, uh, its chances. Yeah. And we'll see what kind of role they play next week and beyond if it is a minority parliament. Let's, yes, very true. let's turn to the security threat on the weekend against Justin Trudeau, the Liberal leader. Uh, and obviously, uh, prime ministers and political figures face these kinds of threats, or face threats anyway, uh, unfortunately, on a regular basis. And most of the time, we don't even hear about them. The RCMP and others deal with them. Uh, but this one obviously was on another level. And I think a lot of people are wondering, is this just a standalone event or... Is it reflective in some way of a direction that our politics is taking in this country? Yeah, you're absolutely right that, that we don't hear about these all the time. Um, we only sort of hear afterward. I think many Canadians would be surprised how often there are threats against our political leaders. It's not an accident that RCMP accompany every leader on an election campaign. I know if, if you talk to spouses of political leaders, they get very worried about uh, about their their husbands or wives being out there on the in, on the trail. So when I saw on Saturday night that there was 
an extra security threat against Justin Trudeau, I thought to myself, this has got to be serious. Trudeau is famously, he grew up with security around him. He, he, uh, he, he's known to be kind of casual about it, not uh, reckless, but, but he is known to be <clears throat> um, clear-minded about it. The fact that somebody got him into a bulletproof vest says that something serious may be going on. I, we may never find out what this was. The RCMP doesn't release that information for fear of encouraging others, but um, but I, I do think it says something about where we're at in this election campaign. I wrote about it over the weekend, and I've been getting emails ever since, um, a flood of them from people saying that Justin Trudeau staged this for sympathy. So that kind of tells you where where we're at right now. It's um, I think it's a regrettable uh, step in our political uh Political life as a country. I, I don't. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to see any political leader facing threats like this. And and certainly it tells you that that there is an ugly mood out there somewhere. Yeah, and and what you pointed out in terms of the reaction you get is uh, at this stage of a campaign, and perhaps any time in Canadian politics or any other country's politics, there are partisans who view everything through the lens of. Uh, of that guy's bad, this guy's good, or or that sort of thing, right? They, there's no, there's there's a for some people there's a lack of trust there that uh, that uh, either all liberals are bad or all conservatives are bad or all politicians are bad. That sort of mentality, right? Yeah, you and I are have been around this business a long time and know that that is way too simple and. Uh, nobody's all good. No, nobody's all bad, and certainly nobody's as, as evil like these. Uh, the the political discourse has been going. Yeah. Now, uh, one positive sign on the weekend uh, for our democracy: the fact that on Thanksgiving weekend, voter turnout at the advanced polls was up significantly over the 2015 election. And it's worth pointing out that in 2015, overall voter turnout was comparatively high to previous elections. Now. The, the voter turnout at advanced polls doesn't always mean that there's going to be an increase in voter turnout uh, overall. It could just mean that a lot of people decide to get it out of the way early and then and then the same number of people end up voting in the end. But it was interesting. I don't think it was something that people were anticipating. No, especially not, as we've been discussing you know, sort of week to week. It, the election has felt kind of unfocused and that it it does it hasn't captured people's interest. My, I went to vote this weekend myself, and my local polling st- station told me that hundreds of people were in there on Friday, which is, uh, you know, unexpected. So is this is time efficiency? Is it a statement of interest? It's, it also... Uh, changes things about we're talking about the last six days of the election campaign and the party's doing whatever they can to to uh, to change the course of events but the fact that so many people believe the election's already decided in their mind at Thanksgiving weekend tells you that people may be locked into something or um, that views have already been set so mm. yeah. so in one way the po- politicians are going to be having arguments to people who have already made up their minds this, yeah. uh, this last week. It's true. All right. We're into the final countdown. Uh, Susan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Enjoy the rest of the campaign. Okay. That's Susan Delacorte, Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. My focus uh, is on electing a progressive government and stopping 
conservative cuts. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Kelly McParland argues Justin Trudeau wanted to give Canadians coalitions, and he may yet do so. McParland writes, One of the bigger promises Justin Trudeau broke after winning the 2015 election was his pledge to introduce electoral reform. The goal was for a government that more closely reflected the eventual vote count, some sort of coalition. So what do we get instead? If the polls running into the final heated days before next Monday are remotely accurate, the answer is a great deal of uncertainty, and perhaps a coalition government. In the Toronto Sun, Mark Bonacoski argues, the government we end up electing is a mirror of ourselves. Bonacoski writes, There should be no argument that this federal election campaign has set a new standard for going low. But at some point, Canadians will possibly come to recognize that the high-voltage partisan rhetoric and flaws of those we elect are actually a reflection of us. That's why we get the government we deserve, and we have only ourselves to blame. In the Vancouver Sun, Daphne Bramham asks, Why don't Canadians like Andrew Scheer? Bramham writes, Meeting Andrew Scheer, he seems like a good-natured, dimpled, and smiling everyman who might be good fun at a football game, but Canadians haven't warmed up to him. Despite all that Justin Trudeau has done and not done, from wearing blackface to violating conflict of interest rules to buying a $4.5 billion pipeline, even as he claims to be a climate change warrior, Canadians still marginally prefer him to Andrew Scheer. Now let's look at what's coming up on the campaign trail today. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau will be in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer will be in Quebec City, Trois-Rivières, Saint-Marc-sur-Richelieu, and La Prairie. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will start the day in Toronto. Green Party leader Elizabeth May will be campaigning in Kamloops, British Columbia. And at Rideau Hall, Governor-General Julie Payette will receive the symbolic first poppy of the 2019 National Poppy Campaign. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, October 15th. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for coverage of the federal election campaign. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.